One of the questions I sometimes wonder about whenever I'm daydreaming is, why is it that Christ hasn't come yet? Why is it that Christ came, died, resurrected almost exactly 2,000 years ago? And then all throughout his time in, in ministering on this earth, he would often mention, you know, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, get ready, get ready, get ready, only to see 2,000 years pass by. It would seem like, it almost invalidated his argument, it almost seemed like maybe a lot of us might think maybe Christ isn't coming again. Maybe, maybe that was all just kind of made up. But I think this parable kind of dispels that notion and actually gives us a little bit more light, a little bit more reason to why there's a little bit more distance between Christ's resurrection and Christ's second coming. And it's, a, and it's actually some very good news for us. In our parable today, we have the owner of a garden, the owner of an orchard. And in his orchard, there was a fig tree that was planted. And for three years in a, a row, once a year, he'd come and visit his orchard, and he would look at this fig tree, and he would look for fruit on it. And of course, he would find none. And eventually, he goes to the gardener in there, and he says, all right, this thing isn't bearing much fruit. So we don't waste any more soil because, as you know, fig trees, they kind of take up some space and so they can't, none of the soil can grow, none of the, none of the, no plants can grow under them. What ends up happening is he, he wants to cut down the tree so then he can grow some more stuff. He's a, he's a very shrewd businessman. Well, the gardener is saying, you know what, we would, let's, let me just give it a shot. Let me see if I can fix this. And this seems like, um, not a very creative parable, and so we look at it in the lens of the, how the early church looked at it. I think our early church fathers can really show a lot and ex- really exfoliate a lot about this parable that can really help us. The first thing these, these men talk about is that this owner symbolizes the Lord. This is, in a sense, Jesus we're talking about here. And what he says is, I've, I've come for three years now I've come and I've never seen it. And what the, what the early church fathers will say is that three, these three years are the three periods of salvation history. So the first period being the period of the patriarchs. We're talking about Abraham. We're talking about Isaac. We're talking about Jacob. We're talking about Joseph. These are the early men. These are some of the great men of, the, of Juda, Judaistic history. This is where God entered into the world to save the world through the Jews. As, as Jesus has said so many times. Salvation is from the Jews, and, and that's where it all began. And yet, even with Abraham, there was still sin in the world. There was a lack of fruit. So what happens? He comes again. He comes with the Ten Commandments. He comes with these things called the Law and the Prophets. The Ten Commandments. Moses, the Levitical Law. The Prophets. We're talking about Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. These men who spoke on behalf of God. And even though they came, even though they, they proclaimed, even though they let the, all of the whole nation of Israel know by the presence of the Lord, still no fruit. No repentance. Very, very minimal response. And then the third year. The third year that this owner mentions. And St. Augustine says this third year is the very Gospels. Where God himself came down from the heights of heaven to come and testify to his love for us and the need for repentance. And still, the tree bore no fruit. That's what he's chastising these men in this gospel for. It's like, you guys are not repenting. You're becoming self-righteous. You're condemning Pilate for committing these crimes whenever, in fact, you guys are the ones who are the criminals. You guys are the ones who are still not repenting, even though the Lord is asking you to. 
and he has been asking to you two for the past 3,000 years. But then what happens? Somebody speaks in our defense. You see, the, the, the early church fathers sees this fig tree as humankind. And then somebody is here representing into coming to the defense of humankind. And you know what the early church fathers say that is? The early church father says that's Peter. That's the representative of the Catholic Church. That is the very first Pope. And he stands there and he says, give me some time. Give me some time. I think I can do something. Give me some time. Just give me one more year. And I think I can make this tree bear fruit. Just give me a little bit more time. This has happened before in scriptures. After the Israelites just made this massive molten calf. After the Israelites made this, this big massive molten calf. What happens? The Lord gets angry at them. Threatens to destroy them all. And then Moses says, no, give me another shot. And what happens? The Lord gives them another shot. It happens right here. And what the, the gardener proposes, I think, is something key. What he proposes is something that you and I can learn from. You see, the gardener here is representative of the kind of the Peter is the, is the gardener, if you will. But Peter will be the first to admit that if he's going to effectively garden the church, it's not going to be by him alone. It's going to be through his bishops, and the bishops will garden it through his priests. And so if we think of the gardener as acting in sync with, the, as, as, the, as in a sense, the Pope acting in sync with the whole church, all the clergy, we can kind of see what exactly is going on here. He says, in order to rejuvenate this tree, in order to change this tree and make it go from sterile to fertile, what I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to first dig and cultivate the soil around it. That is to say, I'm going to tenderize the rockiness of humankind's heart. I'm going to make it soft. I'm going to make it so the roots can go deeper, can go wider, can absorb more water, can become healthier. I'm going to cultivate the soil. I'm going to dig it deeper. But then what does he say in the scriptures? I'm going to fertilize it. Now guys, this is 30 AD. There ain't no miracle grow back then. We're talking manure, people. And what does he do is he takes that manure and he puts it right there in that trench. And what do the church fathers say? Guess what that manure is symbolic of? It's symbolic of our sin. What they say is this. Only through sorrow of our sin in the depths of our heart are we capable of repentance. Only by being sorry for our sins down to the very core of our being will we be capable of repentance and then in turn be capable of bearing fruit. Because whenever we have compunction, whenever we have contrition, that's whenever we have the fruits of the Spirit. That's whenever the Lord can really work. A humbled and contrite heart, O Lord, you will not spurn. And that's what he's urging us to do in this parable. And you know how we do it? Through confession. Notice that, that the person that's actually tilling the soil, the person that's putting the manure into the trench, is not Jesus. It's a priest. And I don't think that's a coincidence. My dear friends, very often whenever we, whenever we look at other, other Christians, they talk about confessing to God, confessing to God, and confessing to God. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I confess to Almighty God. 
But there's another saying, there's another part of our confidior. And to you, my brothers and sisters. To you, my brothers and sisters. So which means that if we only confess to God, we're ignoring the rest of our family. We're treating our relationship with God as if we're his only child. And that's simply not true. God doesn't have only children. God the Father has a family of children. You and I, we are his sons and daughters, which means we are all brothers and sisters in Christ, which means whenever we sin against the Father, we sin against each other. Which means we need to do something to reconcile ourselves with him and with one another. And that's the purpose of the priest. The priest, whenever he is in the church, in the confessional, stands not just in persona Christi, but in persona ecclesia, in the person of the church. Which means that he acts as a personal, physical, human representative of our brothers and sisters. Which means, yes, it is one thing to confess to God, but you need a human, develop, a human element if you're going to reconcile yourself with the rest of humanity. And the human element is in the priest. That's why we confess to a priest and not simply to the sky. Not simply to the Lord. And that's the encouragement, my dear friends. Guys, we're almost halfway through Lent. If you haven't been a confession yet, I cannot, I cannot encourage you more strongly. In fact, canon law says that you have to go to confession at least once a year. So you haven't been a confession. If you haven't been a confession in more than once a year, be sure to confess that you haven't been a confession in more than, one, in more than, than a year. Because the fact of the matter is the church is begging us to repentance. Repentance isn't an option. It's not just kind of like, it's not just a cherry on top. It's a requirement. And if we don't repent, what's going to happen? We're going to be destroyed. We're going to be cut down. We're going to be no more. And that's what the Lord is begging us to do. Begging us to repent. So I encourage you guys, before Lent comes up and over, come to confession. We offer confession an hour before this Mass. We offer confession an hour before 6 p.m. Mass. And an hour before every single daily Mass, with the exception of the 8 p.m. Masses. Come to confession Get on your knees and repent. Repent from your, of your sins from the very depths of your heart. If you can do that, surely you will be saved.